The following is a presentation of Blackville Church of God. We hope you are blessed by this wonderful sermon brought to you by our lead pastor, Barry Peavy. Our worship times are Sunday morning at 11 a.m. and Sunday evening at 6 p.m. and Wednesday nights at 7.30. We hope to see you join us soon here at the Ville for dynamic worship services. We have something available for the whole entire family. So come out and bring your family and enjoy worshiping God with us here at Blackville Church of God. Scarcely can we turn on our news anymore without seeing some tragic event that involves what is called radical Islamic terrorism. It happens all over the world now. And tragically, it happens in the borders of our own country. Recent events, such as just a few weeks ago, innocent, unarmed recruiters for our armed forces, five of them lost their lives because a radical Islamic terrorist went in armed and shot them and sent them into eternity. It happened, it's happening all over the world. There are very few weeks, if any, that go by that we don't hear or see a report from ISIS or ISIL or the remnants of Al-Qaeda or some other branch of radical Islamic terrorism that reaches into the innocent villages and highways and byways oftentimes of people that are doing what you're doing today, gathering together for the singular purpose of worshiping Jesus Christ. And they are beheaded. They are in prison. They are raped and tortured and unspeakable things done, all because somebody who is considered a radical Islamic terrorist does the deed in the name of Allah, their name for their God. But if you read the Koran, really all that radical Islamic terrorism is are people that actually believe what the Koran says. Because in our scriptures, we are commanded to love our enemies. In our scriptures, we are commanded to do good to those that would despitefully use us. Bless those that curse us and love those that hate us. In their scripture, they are commanded to kill anyone who does not involuntarily, if necessary, convert to Islam because we are the infidel. Our government seems to, in many ways, ignore this. We have the chief Ayatollah in Iran who openly calls for the destruction of Israel and has vowed to wipe them off the face of the earth while our Secretary of State is on the bargaining table giving away things and consenting to Iran to build up their nuclear arms and removing all of the restrictions that we have had on them in the past economically. Out in the streets are Islamics who are shouting death to America and death to Israel. And we sit back and we look at what's going on and we see the destruction and we wonder how in the world can we defeat this? Is the answer to build back up our military and start to go and bomb places at free will? Is the answer to 
separate ourselves from the rest of the world and leave Israel and anybody else to defend themselves while just defending our borders, even though it's already crept into our borders. And I want to tell you today, the only answer for radical Islamic terrorists is what I'm going to speak to you today about, and that is radical Christian disciples. Radical Christian disciples. The Apostle Paul is credited with writing most of what we hold as holy writ. Most of the doctrinal epistles in the New Covenant that you and I live by were penned by this great figure, the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus. It is absolutely mind-boggling to see how much he endured for the sake of the gospel. Paul eventually found his way into Mamertine prison in Rome. In just a few minutes after I share the scripture, you're going to be seeing some of the images of that prison. I was privileged many years ago to spend just a few days in Rome, Italy. And the most moving experience I had was when I descended the pits of the earth to go into Mamertine prison. And I witnessed firsthand the dark, wet, moldy, mildewed cell that held the Apostle Paul and eventually Simon Peter alike only because they were there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Barred in, closed in, a hewn out stone imprisonment with nothing but a small little opening that let in a little bit of light. It also let in the cold and the wind and the rain. The Apostle Paul would spend his last few days writing to those he loved, in particular his son in the faith, a young man named Timothy. And I want to share with you today what this man who knows he's fixing to die shares with his son in the faith. Reading first of all from the King James Version and then I'm going to read from the NIV Version for you today. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 8, this soon to be dying, beheaded man after a lifetime of persecution, writing to a person whom he cared for perhaps more than any other person he had ever ministered to, young Timothy. And he says these words, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Doesn't that sound like America in the world today? But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, 
Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. In the New International Version, let me read it this way. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their eyes away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed, longed for his appearing. 1 Corinthians 1 and 21, Paul would say this, these words, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, if we're not careful, we would limit the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy, who at this time was serving in Paul's stead as the pastor appointed, at least interim, to the church at Ephesus. But when you look closer at what the Apostle Paul was saying, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 21, the word used for preaching is the Greek word kerugma, which means a proclamation and by implication the gospel itself. Some versions actually translate this, that God has chosen to use the foolishness of the message preached to save those that perish. In other words, it's not emphasizing that God has used just a pastor or an evangelist or a teacher of the gospel and their delivery of that gospel is what is powerful to save people that are perishing. No. It is saying that the gospel message itself, hallelujah, 
It's so powerful that whether it be given from behind a pulpit or on a street corner, whether it be delivered from someone who was ordained or someone who just accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that that message, that gospel is so profound, that gospel is so perfect, that gospel is so true and it's so empowered, that delivery of that gospel message is what saves those that are perishing. You see, whenever we look at the charge that the Apostle Paul gave young Timothy, what our flesh wants to do unless we're standing behind a pulpit as I am today, is say, that's fine, the Apostle Paul, a preacher, is talking to Timothy, a preacher. The Apostle Paul, a pastor, is talking to Timothy, a pastor. The Apostle Paul, a missionary, is talking to Timothy, a missionary. Well, let me tell you something. Of all the roles that Timothy filled, serving behind Paul as a teacher, traveling at times on the mission field, stepping in to pastor in the absence of the great apostle, we never see him as the role of an evangelist. Yet this man who was not an ordained evangelist, this man who was not someone who went from town to town as the role of a traditional evangelist would be. This man is given the instruction, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, who is the Apostle Paul talking to? Is he talking to just this young Timothy because of his uh, titles and because of his ordination and because of his certification? Or is he talking to all of us? You see, the problem today is that we try to place the emphasis on ministry on just a few. A few that we can send in our stead. A few that we can call and hire to do the work. But when you look at the words of God, I challenge you today that more than ever before, the words that the Apostle Paul was given to Timothy are meant for each and every one of us. Listen to what the Word of God says to you as well as to me. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to the whole church at Corinth. To all the Christians in Rome, in Romans 9, 24 and 1 and 6, He says, Even us whom He, Jesus, has called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Back to Corinth, he says in 1 and 9, 717 and 720, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ. But God has distributed to every man as the Lord has called everyone. So let him walk. And so I ordain every church. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. To the church at Ephesus, in chapter 4, verses 1 and 4, he would write, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you were called. There is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in the hope of your calling. 
to the church at Thessalonians who would write in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 12 that you should walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Simon Peter would work this way in 1 Peter 1, 15, 2 and 9 and 2, 21. But as he which hath called you is holy, so you be holy in all manner of conversation. But you, that's we, every one of us, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For even here in two were you called because Christ also has suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And John, as he saw Jesus revealed in Revelation 17, 14, and 19 and 9, these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are those which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. You see, the calling of God which is without repentance, rest upon each of us today, not just a chosen few. So the words that Paul shares with Timothy are as true today as they ever have been. And they're as much for this generation as they were for young Timothy. And they certainly as are, are as timely today as they ever have been. I want you to listen to these words. Paul presses his weary face against the bars of the cell in Mamertine prison in Rome. He peers at the end of a dark hallway. There he sees a blood-stained chopping block. And he knows that on tomorrow... With the rising sun, he'll be taken from his cell and paraded in front of laughing, jeering inmates. March to the end of that hallway, physically forced to his knees. His arms shall be roped at his elbows behind his back and his robe will be pulled rudely away from his neck. His face will be forced against the bloodstains that bespeak the horrible death of those that have knelt there before him. And in one moment of blinding, searing pain, his ministry and his life will be over. And he'll be plunged into the immediate presence of a sovereign and omnipotent God. Think about that. He sits one last time at a crude desk and smooths out his last piece of parchment. And by the fading light of a flickering candle, he determines to write one last letter. Before his eyes and his memory come the countenance of a young preacher boy 
that is leading a difficult church in a difficult situation in a difficult city called Ephesus. This boy he loves deeply. He himself has seen this young man saved, baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. He himself ordained this young man for ministry by the laying on of his own hand. At his ordination, the Holy Ghost had filled Paul and he had spoke words of prophecy over him. Now writing his last letter, Paul feels a deep weight of responsibility not only to say goodbye but perhaps say something that will touch this young man's life and shape his destiny in the kingdom of God. I wonder, as Paul writes this letter, if he had any inkling of understanding that this letter would be read today, read until the return of Jesus Christ by multitude, millions, or multiplied millions through the ages, and that the words of this letter would have such an impact on somebody like me that I can't tell you how many times that these words in my times of depression and my times of wanting to throw on the towel would haunt me, yet encourage me my entire life. I don't think Paul understood what would happen. That means that the spirit of the living God had to impregnate the moment with eternity while Paul was caught up in the present moment of his reality. He, in that cell, thinking of that young man named Timothy. As Paul begins to write, he thinks back over his life. He meditates on all the ministry has cost him, the devastation and affliction. His memories as he stares death in the face crowd in upon him. Quite possibly he recalled the thousands of sermons he had preached. He certainly had to feel again the stones that were hurled in anger against his body as he was left for dead. He had to think back about the great storm and the shipwreck and being cast into the sea. All the distress that he had been under. What does he write then? What does he write to this young man that he loves? Does he say to him, listen boy, why don't you go on home? Get out while the getting's good. Go back to your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and get a real job. When people ask you what you do, tell them you sell encyclopedias for a living. Does he write to him and say, let me tell you something, Paul, I'm fixing to die. And all it's ever cost me is pain and anguish. And this gospel message just isn't worth it. I've had it all up. And I'm rotting in this stinking cell. And it's simply not worth the price that I've paid. Churches that I established, Timothy, are already denying the resurrection of Christ. 
Some of them are already slipping back into a form of godliness and denying the real power of God's Spirit. Listen, Timothy. Tomorrow I will die in humiliation as people laugh at my wasted life, as my headless body twitches out its last moments of agonized death. So get out. Timothy, I was paraded naked through the streets of Philippi. Get out. Timothy, I was in prison for two years in Caesarea without even a formal charge. Get out. Timothy, I was beaten and hated. I slept outdoors and I was robbed of all my goods. I was persecuted and I've had to hide from my life. Get out. Timothy, I had everything. I lost everything. And now I have nothing. I have no wife. I have no children. I have no grandchildren. I have no one to carry on my name. Go home, Timothy. Is that what he says? I'm asking you today, is that what he says? No, no, no. He screams at the parchment as tears drip from his eyes. And he pins this word, preach the word, Timothy. There is something more here than just telling somebody to fill a pulpit. Paul is literally standing with his tiptoes on the edge, about to slip into eternity. And he's screaming at Timothy and us today, preach the word. He's not screaming it just to preachers. He's not screaming it just to pastors. He's not screaming it just to elders or deacons or teachers. He's screaming it to all of us. Take the foolishness of that simple gospel message and preach the word in season, out of season. You see, Paul understood eternal things are the only things that matter in a fallen, sinful, self-consumed culture. And church, he is calling us. It's time to be radical Christian disciples.